Welcome to Tamimi Talks, an insightful podcast series on the latest legal news and developments across the Middle East and North Africa. Hello, everybody. Thanks for tuning in. I'm Nick O'Connell, a partner in our digital and data practice in Saudi Arabia. I am here today with my colleague, Christina Sohatsky, who is a senior associate in our healthcare and life sciences sector group, also in Saudi Arabia. Today, we're going to be talking a little bit about new guidance for artificial intelligence and big data in a medical device context in Saudi Arabia. Before we do that, perhaps, Christina, if you can tell us a little bit about your practice. Yes, thank you, Nick. Um, as you mentioned, um, I'm part of our healthcare uh, and life science sector group. Um, this practice group spans all of our 16 offices in nine jurisdictions. Uh, and it's drawn and made up of um, all of our um, specialist lawyers in various departments, such as yourself and the digital and data team. I focus on this, uh, these two industries, uh, particularly in Saudi, where there have been quite a number of new regulations coming out over the years, particularly this last year, um, as the sector seeks to advance and develop and pull in more private sector participants. So these new regulations um, that are these new guidelines that seek to uh, adapt the regulatory environment uh, to these new technologies is quite exciting because with proper guidance, with proper regulatory uh, frameworks, we can make sure that uh, particularly in this case, artificial intelligence and big data um, medical devices can be uh, used and brought into the market uh, quite promptly. Right. And I understand, Christina, that you also have a background as a healthcare professional. Is that right? That is. And then I went to the dark side and became a lawyer. <laughs> okay, great. All right. Well, you're a handy person to have around the office, uh, uh, whether it's the legal stuff or uh, workplace injuries. <laughs> so, um, okay. So, I guess um, I, before we go on, one one point to mention, as I said at the beginning, I, I work in our digital and data practice, which is our name for our technology media telecommunications practice. And we do do a lot of work in terms of um, data related uh, matters, data protection related matters, cloud computing related matters, all of these great things. And so the sort of work that we do, it does often tie in with uh, the type of work that Christina is seeing in the uh, healthcare space as there's, I guess, convergence um, and as technology is adopted more and more uh, in, in the healthcare sector. So it's really great to, to be with you today, Christina, and to be able to talk about this. So I guess just to sort of start with, can you briefly paint a picture of why we're, why we're even talking about this now? Certainly. So in early, uh, early last year, the SFDA issued draft guideline for public consultation. And originally the SFDA was seeking to cover standalone software uh, type of medical devices and uh, to which machine learning based AI technology was applied for specifically for medical purposes. Now, what we saw finally issued, um, however, covers both um, AI software that is configured with hardware, as well as um, also clinical decision support software or even computer-aided computer uh, detection and diagnosis software. So the coverage of this new guidance is quite 
broad and considers quite a number of uh, different technologies that are being adopted in the healthcare systems. So just if I break it down a little bit in terms of what is big data, you know, the, these buzzwords here, the SFDA has defined this as, now this is a quote, various kinds of medical information used to diagnose, manage, or predict diseases, such as medical records, biometric information measured by medical devices, medical images, and genetic information. So with this in mind, whether big data and AI-based medical software is in fact a medical device and regulated by the SFDA is determined based on its intended use. And this is the same as the general overarching medical device um, regulations. And so when we look at the intent, when the SFDA looks at um, the, the medical device, it will look at, again, specifically the intended use. And now we, we're mentioning that this uh, guideline is new um, and applies specifically to medical devices using AI and big data, but there also are other tangential guidance documents that need to be considered, such as there is already a guidance on software as a medical device. Um, there are guidance on pre and post market cybersecurity that apply to medical devices. And of course, last year's new uh, medical device uh, law, which talks about how to obtain medical device marketing authorization. And all of those still need to be complied with. Oh, so, sorry, sorry to interrupt. I, I was just thinking that the software point, I mean, that is something that we've, you know, over the years, we, we often get queries in the context of, of software being used as a medical device, is it a medical device or is it not a medical device, et cetera? Does the, the new guidelines that you're talking about, do they touch on, on sort of, do they identify any specific parameters around what would be uh, considered a medical device in terms of, of software? Yep, definitely. Um, we were pleased to see that they've actually given us um, a classification, a risk-based classification framework, um, as well as a few specific examples um, that are quite helpful. So in general, medical devices are divided into classes depending on their intended use, as well as the associated risk. So when we look at specifically this guideline um, and the examples provided, um, what we see is that they specifically have mentioned that software intended for exercise, leisure activities, wellness, general health care um, are not considered um, medical devices. Um, software that helps a medical profession uh, professional easily find medical information also is generally not considered a medical device, but the SFDA will judge each case, uh, of course, based on the characteristics, the situation, and scientific evidence um, concerning the product. Um, but in general, they're looking uh, to regulate uh, medical devices that specifically aid in the treatment, diagnosis, um, and similar for, for patients in, in the healthcare system. And actually, with, with that mentioned, um, if I could, Nick, um, actually ask a question of you, um, because I think what's important here, as I mentioned, is that there are other regulations um, 
that also apply. And so if I want to now turn next to looking at um, the data, the big data element and data security and data privacy, um, before we get into, I'm sure your next question is going to be uh, diving into to those elements of the new guideline. But can I ask you to tell us a little bit more about some of the overarching um, regulations that have come, laws that have come out over the last year um, that apply to all industries and, and of course those in the healthcare space because I think that will help us uh, give us context to then while we dive the, next into a little deeper into the SFDA's uh, requirements. Sure so um, I mean it's a good question and again it's one that often comes up in the context of um, particularly healthcare related solutions that clients come to us about uh, essentially, Saudi Arabia, I mean, the, the big data or data generally, information security, and also personal data, these topics, they're all intertwined and there's various considerations. So I, I guess the most recent thing to think about is the personal data protection law that came out. Uh, it was published, I think, in September, and it will come into effect in March. Uh, we're still waiting for the regulations. Now, and as a result, there's still some ambiguity, but the personal data protection law has specific considerations relevant to um, health data in particular. So, you know, there are certain considerations there. There are restrictions on transfers abroad. At the moment, I don't think they are blanket restrictions, but as I say, we're waiting for the regulations to shed some light. Personal data aspect aside, I think we also need to look at the information security landscape and particularly in the context of, we could say government sector, but the relevant uh, instruments that I'm thinking of, they talk more in terms of government sector and private sector that uh, owns, operates or hosts critical national infrastructure. Now, one of the key things that um, we come back to on this is the fact that in the Saudi market, the government plays a massive role. So there are, you know, lots of government healthcare provi providers, hospitals, clinics, etc. Now, to the extent that a hospital or a clinic is a government hospital or clinic, then we need to give consideration to information security restrictions that apply to government sector entities. So it might be that these rules, well, it, it would typically be that rules relating to data localization that apply to government sector entities will apply to government sector hospitals and, and healthcare providers. So that's one thing to think about. And then there is a question, you know, to what extent would a non-government hospital or healthcare provider be considered a um, owner, operator or hoster of critical national infrastructure. I think for the most part, they're probably not. Although, you know, during the course of the pandemic, we did have cause to kind of think, well, to what extent is the, the national, I, I guess the national healthcare um, sector <laughs> inherently critical national infrastructure. Um, I haven't had to sort of explore that in too much detail. The punchline broadly is that you need to think about personal data protection considerations, but you also need to think about broader information security requirements that include some element of uh, data localization. And in terms of what you have found when you've been looking at the, these new guidelines, can, what can you tell us about the information security dimension or the data dimension to, to the guidelines? 
Yeah, so um, the SFDA has specifically um, addressed uh, cloud cloud computing in these and in, in these uh, guidelines. So. Um, where medical information is saved and transmitted through a network um, by using cloud computing, uh, the FDA will scrutinize this process. Um, it's evaluated to examine the possibility of modification of medical information and, or the occurrence of any damage to that information. So the SFDA will look specifically for um, security requirements, um, including server access control, user authentication, use of encryption, and de-identification. Uh, so, as I mentioned earlier, the SFDA has issued guidance on pre and post market cybersecurity for medical devices, so it, you will need to comply with those elements as well. Uh, and so it's not just this guideline, this guideline is, is quite, um, quite a supplement to other uh, guidelines issued by the SFDA. But I will mention that the new guideline does address um, certain, in, uh, certain scenarios of cloud configuration, which it considers um, the likely scenarios um, and that would, would be acceptable, of course, uh, under the, the auspice that, that the processes do comply with the guidelines in terms of um, the security requirements that I mentioned. So the few scenarios that they've, they've identified are um, in instances of the private cloud, which can be used by, for example, medical institutions as they often install data centers in internally. Uh, the public cloud where cloud services are provided by an external provider and also a hybrid hybrid cloud where public cloud and private clouds are used in combination. So all these scenarios will be considered by the SFDA, of course, looking for compliance with the, both SFDA requirements and then general um, uh, regulatory uh, yeah. requirements that Nick mentioned. I guess, um, I mean, what you just touched on there in terms of the cloud aspect, it will be important for us to you know, dig deeper into how the SFDA's um, guidelines that touch on, you know, appropriate cloud arrangements, whether it's public, private or hybrid, how that relates to what the telecoms regulator has issued in terms of the cloud computing regulatory framework, which, you know, which is still a thing. And it introduces what could be read as restrictions on certain types of clients using certain types of arrangements. So I wonder, you know, whether the, the various regulators have been sort of communicating with each other to make sure that they're all pulling in the same direction. That's something I've not had um, cause to look at yet, but I think it might be something worth, um, worth looking at. Um, yeah, we've actually seen in other hmm. jurisdictions where, for example, in the UAE, and there's some federal laws coming out um, um, similar to what we're seeing in Saudi, and the law will actually say that it's regulating um, situations that aren't already covered by other laws. So, for example, the one in the UAE um, seems to be trying to carve out uh, that um, health-related information is still subject to the, the regulations of the other health authorities. Um, yeah. As you mentioned, we'll, we'll see what Saudi does, but um, uh, this is where the, the situations do get a bit complex yeah. and uh, a variety of regulations need to be to be examined to ensure compliance. And what we are yeah. seeing is as these, these systems advance and become um, uh, if you will, more modernized, and the the enforcement is there. It's sometimes due to lack of capacity, a bit slow, um, but um, we are seeing more and more enforcement actions taking place than than pre may have previously be, been seen in Saudi. Yeah. 
yeah. So it is important for these new technologies to get to get it right. Yeah, I guess, the, I mean, the other thing, and to sort of take a step back from the guidelines for a moment, and obviously, depending on where our listeners are located, they may or may not be aware of this, but obviously, they are interested in Saudi. But I, I think that as part of the, the Vision 2030, investment in healthcare uh, in Saudi Arabia, um, working on trying to get a, a really, I mean, Saudi does already have a, a highly ranked healthcare system, I think, but part of the, uh, one of the key, um, what do you say, one of the key sort of platforms of Saudi Vision 2030 is trying to get the healthcare sector, you know, sort of best in the world kind of thing. I'm not sure if best in the world literally is what they're aiming for, but there is an intention to really invest in the sector. And obviously part of that is investing on the on the tech side. So, um, you know, it's an interesting time to be working in this space in Saudi Arabia, but I think there's a lot of opportunities for companies in the uh, the broader medical and healthcare industry in Saudi Arabia. Do you, do you have any thoughts or insight on that? Yeah, we've actually seen, um, as you mentioned, there, the Vision 2030 has set out quite a number of diverse goals. Um, and one of them was on the healthcare side, um, looking uh, at the privatization, uh, because many of the government, uh, many of the healthcare facilities are government run, and looking to then utilize the private sector to advance care and quality and delivery of services. Um, even there, uh, last year, um, it's still in the process of being fully awarded, but uh, was issued an RFP for public-private partnership for radiology services, which included a strong element of teleradiology. So seeking to, um, which involved elements of, of course, the, the storage of data, the analyzing that data for population health. Um, so we are seeing more and more use by even the government of, of, of technology solutions to increase access to care, and then also to, to have the population uh, benefit from um, the, the analysis of that data and what it can tell us about population health or treatment options, um, et cetera. And so, yeah, we should see more and more of this um, as these programs programs roll out. Great. So, look, I think um, I think we've covered a few interesting topics there for anyone interested in um, AI and big data in a in a Saudi healthcare medical device context. Um, just to wrap up, then, rather than on the guidelines themselves, can you sort of tell us perhaps a bit more about? you know, the practice and, and how we can help? Certainly. Um, so, so as I mentioned, the healthcare and life science sector group um, really is an end-to-end -end service for our healthcare clients um, in this industry. So whether it's the healthcare providers um, themselves, we are, we are assisting with um, compliance with local regulations across the region um, or mergers and acquisitions. We have even worked on quite a number of hospital operation and management agreements, supply agreements, all the intricacies, the commercial terms and, and contracting that go into running and operating a successful healthcare facility um, and and of course 
not even the uh, not only the commercial terms, but employment matters, medical malpractice, any litigious elements. We have full teams on the ground uh, across the region that cover that. And then we're, when we look at the life sciences sector, we support quite a bit again on the contractual terms, distribution agreements, but also on the regulatory side um, when dealing with regulators such as the SFDA for vaccines, pharmaceuticals, biotechnologies, cosmetics, medical devices. Um, I think we have over 300 lawyers across the region. So feel free to contact us with any question. I'm sure I can find somebody who has dealt with the matter. Um, if it's not myself or Nick, that's, we have somebody on the ground um, in one of our offices who can certainly assist, assist with the question at hand. As I mentioned, we are the largest practice in the region um, in terms of healthcare and life sciences. So, so we have been involved in quite a swath of matters and would be pleased to help. I, I really think that that's been a, an interesting session. So to the listeners, thanks for tuning in. Um, Hopefully this will have provided you with some interesting insight into what's going on in the Saudi market and particularly in that AI and big data space um, and also some insight into our specialist capabilities in this area. So if there are any aspects of today's conversation that um, particularly interest you or on which you would like further information or, or other information on topics of this nature, please don't hesitate to get in touch. And I think we can say link in bio I'm not sure um, but our contact details will be uh, will be posted somewhere with this uh, this podcast thank you for listening to Tamimi talks stay updated with all the latest legal news and developments on our social media channels <laughs>